This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, a pair of feral dragons beset upon me by God. Kate Lamphier. Hello. And Paul Jaceley. Hey there, humanoids. I'm very excited to be talking about comic books today because I'm in a very strange setup. It may sound a little bit different where you are. I'm sitting in my sister's office in West Michigan, all the way far, far away from New Jersey. I'm here for a couple of weddings, and I've slept outside in a tent last night, and I the entire the entirety of nature just went into my nasal capacity as I was scream yelling Motion City soundtrack songs outside at a big pavilion um, until 11 p.m. last night. So very excited to be here. Um, I'm also a little <laughs> tired and very full of Arby's. Uh, I have one quick announcement before we get <laughs> into the show. Uh, there is a fabled Star Wars video that the some of the I read comic books folks put together where we sat down and we watched I, or Star Wars Episode 3, the original, uh, you know, Attack of the Clones and the Revenge of the Sith, whatever that one was called. And we recorded some audio to put on top of that. And there may be a mashup of that audio and that video on Patreon if you're interested in that. Or if you just want the audio version, there is just an audio clip that you can go to Patreon, press play, and then press play on Disney Plus and you can listen to our audio commentary as we watch Star Wars Episode 3. It's a lot of fun. It's on Patreon. Go support us at $5 a month. You get access to that, plus Episode 1 and Episode 2, and a better Batmobile, and Saga of Saga, all these amazing things that we have on Patreon. So go check that out. Episode 3 just came out on Sunday, though, or Saturday, I guess. But let's get into the show. Let's talk about comic books. We're here for two legally mandated questions, and that's how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been good. I'm very excited about comics. I went to a library recently and I have I have too many. I think it's happened. <laughs> there was <laughs> oh, no. a limit and I've passed it. <laughs> um I am exceptionally excited for a Kickstarter that I that I received a PDF of and I've I have read that. Um and if you are on the Discord, a link was posted under the Kickstarter's channel for it. Um, this is called Greatly They Dared. The writer is Case Lamphere. The artist is Dominic Pinto. The colorist is Gustavo Morelli. And the letter is Rob Jones. And the editor is me. Um, <gasps> this is uh, what this, this was written by my brother. And I had a hand in editing the early drafts of this. Um, I am very excited that this is uh, done and online. And it's like ready to go. So it just needs to get backed and you'll get it immediately pretty much as soon as it uh hopefully uh gets funded wow. well hold on first off i had no idea that you were editing this how dare you keep this under wraps <laughs> um second off uh what's this comic book about exactly because i'm excited that you're working on it. i'm excited that case is working on it but like what is this book yeah so this is a historical fantasy regarding some good samaritans who try to help some women during our women's suffragette march um that gets tense with protesters as you know that happened historically I am really into the art that, that Case found for this, the artist. Um, there are some particularly cool panels that introduce the main characters. And a few months ago at this point, uh, Mike and Paul, you guys, you were on an episode about sound effects in comics in print. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. then Case showed me the, this draft and I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many of these sound effects in print. And it's done really well. And it's one of my favorite parts of the book. Uh, but awesome. um, even more exciting for me is the amount of like world building that is hinted at in this book. And like, I know 
that there's a bigger world to this and like who all of these good Samaritans are and how they wrap uh-huh. into like um, some other pieces that are hinted at in this story. Um, but this story that's on the Kickstarter, it's like it's like a single issue. You can just read that one story and you have a whole story, you know. Um, it's not mm-hmm, like a, mm-hmm. an issue one of a series or anything. But if it gets backed, then he's got more in mind um, for like an anthology of stories that all connect. I think that it's very cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it sounds fantastic. I mean, I'm I'm already backing this. I should say I didn't know that you had a hand in it. Otherwise, I would have backed it sooner than day one or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> either way, either way, um, that's really exciting. We'll post a link to that that Kickstarter in the show notes. So make sure you all check that out. At least give it a follow. See what's going on. It, it looks like a really really cool book, and I'm, I'm excited to see. Hopefully, that it gets it gets funded, um, in the near future here. So that's really really cool. Yeah, awesome. thank you. Um, Paul, what have you been reading? Well, um, we're recording this on Sunday, August 28th, which of course is a high holy day for comic book fans. It was on this day, 105 years ago, that Jack Kirby was born. So I try to celebrate Jack Kirby's birthday every year uh, on this date by reading some Jack Kirby comics. So I pulled out my copy of Jack Kirby's Silver Star, um, which is a book that came out from Pacific Comics back in 1983. It's been republished and collected by Image a few years ago. Uh, written and illustrated, of course, by Jack the King Kirby. Uh, inks and letters by Mike Royer and D. Bruce Berry. Colors by Deborah Cohen and Tom Luth. And I think Eric Larson recolored some of the pages for hmm. the image collection. Anyway, um, I've read this before. Um, it's one I kind of go back to somewhat regularly because it's one of the strangest comics I've ever read. And trust me, when you're talking about late 70s, early 80s Jack Kirby, that's saying a lot. It is a yeah. weird, weird comic. It's basically a riff on the sort of Captain America or OMAC idea that Kirby went back to over and over again, where you have an individual who's basically a super soldier, but it's not it's out of his control. He had no say in the matter, and he's kind of juggling that. The main character, Silver Star, is a soldier named uh, Morgan Miller, who was basically genetically manipulated in the womb by his own father. And he's one of the next evolution of humans. He's Homo geneticus. And it turns out his father had created a bunch of these Homo geneticus individuals. And uh, Morgan must like reunite uh, them together to fight off the dastardly Darius Drum. That, and that's one of the best supervillain names of all time. Darius Drum. Hell yes. Hell yes. And it's just it's just so bizarre. Like the su- the superpowers are not super well defined. So it's like Silver Star can manipulate matter on an atomic level. He's also can grow in size. He has like a healing factor. It's just, it's a mishmash of ideas and it doesn't all hold together. And that's the thing about like this era of Kirby. It's like his, he had so many cool ideas. He probably read an article about genetic programming or genetic, you know, engineering. And was like, Hey, I can mm-hmm, do that. Mm-hmm. I'll turn into superhero story. And it doesn't hold together. Like the ending falls apart. Darius drum turns into a literal angel of death and is going to destroy all life on the planet. It's, it's wild. Hell yeah. Um, Hell yeah, brother. (laughs) (laughs) But what's cool about it. And what I, what I really like about this comic is that there's a lot of like later era Kirby stuff where it feels like he's struggling with the idea of superheroes. Like, I don't think Kirby thinks superheroes can save us as an idea. And it's like Hmm. between OMAC which is kind of a similar story. And this story, it's as Kirby as a futurist, like thinks, yes, we need to develop new technologies. Technology is changing what it means to be human, but that might necessarily be a good thing. So you have Silver Star, who's like trying to do the right thing. You have Darius Drum, who's also homogeneticus, but was raised by a very uh, 
extreme religious father turns into a mm-hmm. villain. So it's like technology could be the savior for mankind or humanity. It could also be its downfall. And it's like Kirby's juggling that idea in the framework of a superhero story. It's, it's a weird, weird comic. I think if you, if you're interested in later period Kirby and just getting a full adrenaline shot of pure Kirby in your veins, it's worth tracking down. But like I said, it is a very strange comic. It does have one of my favorite lines in all of comic history in it though. There's a moment where two scientists are debating what to do about uh, Morgan Miller and what it means to be homogeneticus, what it means for humanity if the next step of evolution is already here. And uh, one of the characters says to the other, quit rattling your gonads in my ears. Mama nature don't give a damn. And it's like, (laughs) has anyone written dialogue better than that? Right? Anyway, that's, I love I love uh, Silver Star. I think again, read it to celebrate Jack Kirby, and it's a it's it was a it's a wild ride this morning to revisit that one. So uh, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Mike, uh, what have you been reading lately? Well, I uh, you know I'm on the big AXE train, so I read Death to Mutants number one. This is Kieran Gillen and Guy Villanova. Um, everybody meets up, everybody plans the fight. That's what this book basically is. Um, and then the twist happens at the end of this issue. And I'll say, you know, if you've been reading any of the Judgment Day stuff or AXE, you'll you'll know what this twist is. And I feel like a lot of the first and second issues of stuff that are involved in this big crossover event kind of change what I thought this whole thing was going to be about. And I really, really liked it. You know, the crossovers that Gillen and everybody in the X universe have been doing all feel like different angles of the same big story, especially in that first first couple of issues around the Judgment Day stuff. And to that, it almost feels like the way that Hickman opened up House of X Powers of 10, where we get a lot of the same story in all of the different books that are happening, but they're all told with different contexts. And I like that Gillen has done that for this book. And maybe this is how event books used to be. I just feel so out of breath with all of them that I just don't remember. But I really enjoy the way that we've seen all of these books kind of tell the same story with different contexts and adding different layers and and variables. And then to see those things fall out in different books in ways that feels like I'm getting payoff for having read everything. Now, I'm not suggesting that Marvel or DC should continue to do events like this where you have to read 20 books in order to get the whole story because quite honestly, just do a 20 book series. Leave the rest of my books alone. But um, at the same time, I do appreciate being someone who has just said, you know what, I don't care, good or bad, I'm going to read X books except for Wolverine. Uh, You know, I'm I'm feeling like everything's paying off and I, I do appreciate that. So yeah, like, the cool surprise was here. I really liked the the change of, of like, there's a little bit of discrepancy between the end of two issues about this thing. And I was like, is that important? Or is that just the writer, Kieran Gillen, like telling the same thing to two artists and having them interpret it differently um, and somebody signing off and saying, yeah, that's fine. So um, yeah, either way, I like this. I'm, I'm enjoying the AXE events so far. Check in with me in like three months once it's all over and we'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> but right now I don't feel fatigued and it's, it's a very interesting thing. That's probably going to break everything that Hickman did. And I'm kind of mad about that, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I got to say, I'm really surprised like the positive reaction I've seen to this crossover. Cause like I, I was following Eternals, uh, but not reading Avengers or X-Men. Yeah, so I was kind yeah. of glad that basically it seemed like the Eternals title basically stopped and then this crossover started. So I, I didn't feel like I had to yeah. buy the crossover, but it's one of those things like when it's all collected, I might 
be tempted to actually sit down and read the whole thing in one go because everyone I've talked to or heard talk about it has been pretty positive. It says it's one of it's one of the better events they've read in a while. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that you stopped reading Eternals to uh, and then didn't pick this up because I yeah. feel like this story continues what Gillen started in his Eternals run. Yeah, and and yeah. it's really impressive to see that you don't need an Eternals book to go along with this and just to continue that story hmm. because this is he takes a lot of ideas that he sets up in Eternals and then they all start to pay off in the like most insane ways in this event. Okay. Um, so yeah, but I think to your point, like if you read this all collected down the line, I think you're really going to appreciate the through line that Gillen starts with Eternals <laughs> and pays off by the end of this event, whatever that's going to be. I think there's some other stuff that actually ties in that I didn't really care about, but Gillen does a good <laughs> job of filling in as far as the Avengers are concerned. Because okay. like, celestials are involved and apparently the avengers have been living in like a dead celestial and that's important (laughs) to the story um i don't care i really could give two shits about the avengers uh side of story because it feels like they're not even important this is an x-men and eternal story where the avengers happen to be there because they're like we're technically the big cops on the you know of the world right um and then the eternals go no you fools we've been here longer than you and the x-men go we have a better tie to this planet than you do so it's kind of like it's a whole other thing, but that's maybe maybe sure. we'll do a retrospective about this event in the future because it, yeah. it, so far it's pretty good. Okay, cool. cool. As you can tell, I'm on a I'm on like a bender today. I, I've got so much to say <laughs> about comic books, but uh, before I continue any further, uh, Kate, tell us about another book that you read. I'm I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, I've uh, I read a lot of manga, as you know. And I recently read Magus of the Library, or maybe it's Magus of the Library. Magic Person of the Library is the point. Uh, This was volume one. This is by Mitsu Izuma. And this has been on my to-read list for years, and I finally got around to picking it up. This follows Theo, who is a young boy who just wants to read books and patron his brand new, very small local library. But the proprietor does not want him inside or to borrow the books or to touch the books or to look at the books because he's poor. Um, and his older sister, who is also a child. This is like the difference between like a seven-year-old and a 13-year-old. Like she's not that yeah. much older. Um, she's she's working multiple jobs just to sustain the little bit that, that they have. So like there's really no getting out of this situation. At 13, she's working multiple jobs. What the hell's going on? Yeah. What is this economy that poor people can't go to the library and you have to work two jobs as a little child? What the hell? Right? <laughs> um this is actually, sorry, this is what capitalism is. My bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least our libraries let people inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, in the story, a group of like national level librarians come to this town to check on the, the new library and also like this rare book that was reported. And the youngest one of these, who is like 19, um, befriends Theo and is like horrified that what has been happening to him and the fact that he's like not allowed to read. Um, she's just devastated by this whole uh, experience this knowledge um there is some like magic in this book but i almost i really hesitate to call it a fantasy because it's just like little details of the world building and i don't know magical realism might be a better a better descriptor maybe light fantasy um Hmm. i say this and yet one of the librarians is a fairy so (laughs) grain of salt for my genre (laughs) i mean magical realism can involve magical beans right i mean like yeah 
this this book is everything that I wanted it to be. I was not disappointed in any way, which is kind of surprising considering that I went in with expectations, which I try not to do. Um, this little kid <laughs> is absolutely nuts for books. Um, there's a promise of like a physical journey and an adventure by the end of the book. Um, there is like some suggestion that he's some kind of like chosen one but it's definitely by choice it's not by like birth he was not cursed by voldemort or anything he's just like sure, sure. i want to be the book guy i'm gonna go be the book guy <laughs> i see i see and the art of this reminds me of like which had atelier very yeah beautiful black and white line work uh the the fashions in it are really cool of the librarians yeah so i highly recommend this manga paul what have you been reading I read the first issue of 20th Century Men. Uh, it's a new series from Image, written by friend of the show Dennis Camp, uh, with art by Stipian Morian and letters by Aditya Bideker. This book is a lot. I was very excited for this book when it dropped because I'm a, you know, follow uh, Dennis on social media. They've been promoting yeah. this book a lot, seeing preview yeah, pages, yeah. seeing the cover. I grabbed the first issue as soon as it came out. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a very dense comic. It kind of juggles a lot of different themes, including politics, power, superheroes, an alternate history of World War II. But it all kind of like, it's all kind of laid out in the first issue in a way that is overwhelming and almost confusing at times. But I found the idea so compelling that I'm like hooked. I'm, I'm fully in. So as far as I can tell, the main story is about, you know, after World War II, both America and the Soviet Union had super soldier programs. And the story's the main story is set in 1987, where Soviet Union still exists, trying to maintain control in Afghanistan. And that super soldier, who's basically like an iron hero for the Soviet Union, still exists and is called back into service. Meanwhile, in the United States, that super soldier from World War II is now the president. And the world's basically on the brink of another nuclear disaster. So you're juggling yeah. with you know a superhero story with an alternate history. It reminds me, in the broadest terms possible, of Watchmen. But I feel like mm. this book is way more focused on the concepts of power and politics. And uh, this question that they seem to be asking is, like, can these people that were essentially created to maintain a hierarchy or power structure shape the 20th century again in 1987? Mm. So the book jumps between several different time periods, between the Vietnam War, between World War II, between you know, 1987. And the artwork sort of shifts to show that I really like what Morian does with color to show the different time periods. There are some pages where it's almost painterly. The artwork is other pages where it's almost like exaggerated and cartoony, quote unquote, at times in mm -hmm. a typical superhero comic book sort of, especially there's a couple of pages where they show the president and it looks like uh, a nineties image comic. Like that's gotta be a choice to draw the president looking that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's a book, like I said, it's an oversized first issue. I read it last night and it kind of like, fried my brain in a way. So I have to go back and reread it. But I, I'm 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 uh curious enough to keep going. I think I think it's gonna be an important book once it's all said and done. So I, I think yeah. it's worth putting up with uh, or worth struggling through some of the more um the complexity of it to get to the bigger bigger themes. Gotcha. I, I've been meaning to read this because I know that I saw Dennis posted that this was coming out because he's got that other book, Agent of World, I think that's dropping a number two next week. I think so, yeah. And uh yeah, his it, it feels like 
he he's been working with some artists that are really able to deliver a specific vision that I think he has for his books. Yeah. Um, and I'm it sounds to me like that's exactly what's happening with this book. So I haven't read it yet. It's been sitting okay. on my in my iPad ready to to go. But uh, I'm excited now that you've said that. I'll know to put this later in the read rather than at the top so that I feel like I can actually read other things. <laughs> Sure. Uh, I don't know if yeah. you guys have that where like you read a book and it kind of like burns you out for the night. You're like, shit, I was going to read 20 books tonight. Now I'm done. I, I read <laughs> <Yeah>. two. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what happened last night when I read this. Like, well, that's enough comics for tonight. I think I can't top that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one more book I'll, I'll jump into before we get to the top of our pile. Um, I read Public Domain number three. Uh, I think I talked about one and two very recently. Uh, number three, I think just came out. Uh, this is by Chip Zdarsky. If you haven't been reading it, I don't know what you're doing with your life because it's wrong and you should be reading public domain. But uh, this book is magnificent. Uh, it's the, if you don't know, the story is a very like interesting retelling of a story that's like the Stanley Jack Kirby, you know, ownership over characters that were created way, way, way back in the day. Um, and Zdarsky takes his big twist on it. And instead of there being like two publishers, there's just the one. And the, the idea of that, that, illusion um is only like the very 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 small foundation to springboard the rest of this book where we get to know all the various characters that are involved particularly this 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 artist's sons i can't remember anybody's names because i didn't write any of that down but um you get to know his sons and his sons who are variously very very different folks who are kind of screw-ups in their own ways and you find out that this the guy who is this big comic book creator uh he just wants to make books he just wants to make these creations for these characters and i i really love the way that sadarsky like takes this big F you to the comic meta world about like lawsuits and industry and IP and movies and video games and action figures takes the comic itself and instead tells like a really compelling story about someone who just loves comic books and how everybody who around him doesn't seem to just understand that. I, I really love it. I don't want to spoil anything else uh, or anything more than I probably already said, but this book is so well done. It's so well paced. Uh, everything is is got the right comedic bits, the right curious questions, the right dramatic moments um, to make a comic book that I think is just fantastic. And I can't stop raving about it. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't subscribed to Chip Zdarsky's Substack, go do that. You can get early access to these issues. He didn't pay me to say this. I just think everyone should go do this. Uh, I'm not doing it. I'm going to do it after we finish recording today. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so bummed that I didn't already get access to this. So it's so it's amazing. Um, highly recommend it, guys. It, it's from Image. It's so, so worth every penny. It's such a good read. Nice. nice. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways, okay. Yeah, this, let's let's this, move on. Oh, go ahead. I gotta go say, uh, last time I was at my comic shop, the owner recommended it to me. So, and it slipped my mind until he mentioned it again. So, I will make a point to go grab these issues. It sounds very yeah, interesting. It's, so, it's really really good. Yeah. Okay. But let's let's move on. Uh, let's talk about comics that we're looking forward to reading. Let's talk about comics that are on the top of our pile. A new book, an old book, just something that's been in your backlog. Let's talk about what's next for you guys. And I guess we can start with Kate. Well, I did mention that I went to uh, a library or two libraries and picked up too mm-hmm. many books. So I have 21 comic books that are uh, on the top of my pile right now. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot list all 21. I will Dang kick it. you off the show. Why am I here? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I am looking forward to reading Blankets by Craig Thompson. This has been on uh, challenged bo- uh, books list, banned and challenged books list, and I uh, feel like that's a good enough reason to read it. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah. so I requested this from my library, and it arrived, and it is a brick. So this is going to take me some yeah. time. 
This is about the creator who grows up in an evangelical Christian family. It covers his his first love and his early adulthood and also about him moving away from the church. And this has won a lot of awards, including multiple Harvey Awards and Eisner Awards. Um, mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all I know about it. I think uh, I think it's got two color art, which I tend to enjoy. Um, and I don't expect this to be an easy read, but I've been meaning to read it read it for years and i have i don't know like a dozen volumes of manga to balance this out emotionally afterward so <laughs> now's the time it is a really beautiful book i will say i have some thoughts about it that i'll i won't say here so not to spoil anything but um for you kate but i think it's a really beautiful book i like thompson's artwork a lot and there's a connection i have to it because thompson was actually born in my hometown of traverse city michigan Wow, Even though he grew up in Wisconsin, way. he's actually born in Traverse City. So there's a Michigan connection there. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool. very, very good book. I think you'll have fun, quote unquote, fun reading. I think you'll enjoy the experience <laughs> reading it. Yeah. What was yeah. I meant to say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've always been intimidated by this book because it's a brick. And I know that people, just like one of the books I'm going to talk about after the break, uh, it's one of those books that people go, this is going to be the last thing you're going to read for a couple of days uh, <laughs> because it's supposed to be like very, very heartbreaking. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and that what you were able to balance it out with, Kate. <laughs> uh, manga is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, specifically, what volumes made you not feel those feelings anymore? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Paul, what about you? What are you reading next? What's on the top of your pile? Um, I will be reading Ant-Man number two. This is the second issue of a four-issue uh, miniseries celebrating the 16th anniversary of the character Ant-Man. Obviously, this is from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, who is very quickly becoming my favorite Marvel writer with art mm-hmm. by Tom Riley, um, who did the amazing Thing miniseries that wrapped up a couple months ago that I also really enjoyed. Tom's artwork is very, I don't want to say retro, but it has a sort of simplicity to it that i really enjoy there's a it re, it looks you know like silver agey on the surface but it, it's such well balanced artwork in that regard because the first issue of this series focused on the silver age ant-man um hank pym and it had a lot of flashbacks to silver age stories so tom riley was actually kind of channeling the look and feel of 60s marvel comics and then this issue will focus on eric o'grady who was the Ant-Man during Secret Invasion, apparently. I know nothing about (laughs) Ant-Man comics, I must confess. But uh, the overall arching story of this comic is that an Ant-Man from the future is bringing different versions of the character together to fight a bigger threat. So, And it's something I really like about what Ewing has been doing at Marvel between this book and his Defenders books, which I absolutely love, is that building a larger meta narrative about the Marvel universe and its characters. And it's, I don't want to say it, it's Morrisonian, but I can see a parallel between what Morrison did at DC with their work sure. and what, how Ewing is approaching the Marvel. I think they're very different writers, but mm-hmm. I think their approach to these characters and these concepts in the universe are, there's some similarities there, which may be why I've been liking defenders in this book so much. So yeah. Yeah. Again, I know, again, I know nothing about Ant-Man. Uh, I, I knew that there was a couple different ones, but between Riley's artwork and Ewing's writing, I was, I was all into buy all four of these issues when I was, when it was announced. Yeah. The thing that I've, I found really interesting about Ewing's writing in general, right. Is at least what he's been doing over at Marvel recently is that he seems to be taking these legacy characters and really finding a way to, I don't want to say modernize them because everybody's doing that all the time. We're reinventing these characters, but taking their legacies and saying everything is is important to an extent. And here's how I'm going to sum it all up for you in a quick 
summation here. Um, yeah. I think yeah. he he did that with Immortal Hulk. I think he's doing <laughs> that kind of with Ant-Man here is what it sounds like. Um, and I like how he's saying all the legacy is important, but none of it matters in the current story. Like, here's a refresher. Here's some information that kind of drives these characters, but not in a way that says you have to go read 150 issues of a Hulk to get this one bit. Instead, right. it's like, here's right. the, here are the bits that you need to know that make it relevant right now in a way that doesn't feel like ham-fisted or like an editor's note. It feels like narratively important or narratively well-structured within the existing story without being just like a flashback sequence, yeah. you know? Yeah, it, it's it's really impressive stuff. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think between defenders in this book, he's doing some really interesting work, and it's 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 enough. It's outside of the mainstream Marvel universe where I'm able to approach it as someone that doesn't know much about contemporary Marvel books, you know, and really mm-hmm. enjoy them for what they are, standalone stories. So I, I'm, I'm digging it yeah. so far. Yeah, yeah, and that that's also one of the added advantage I think of these books that they allow you to enjoy these characters without having to have you know be able to step in. Um, without having to read all that legacy stuff um so yeah well i guess for me this week uh the thing that i'm looking forward to reading i got a bunch of x-men books i got a lot of other garbage you know that's on my pull list and you know the only thing that i want to read right now is more chainsaw man but there isn't more chainsaw man i think 103 came out today uh chapter 103 but either way i need more than just a single chapter of chainsaw man so i'm gonna start digging into tatsuki fujimoto's fire punch which i believe is an eight volume series that he did um the 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 bit line that i saw on all the various publisher sites is in a frozen dystopia where inhabitants eat flesh to survive can the destructive powers of fire bring salvation i don't know what that means but it sounds dark and i can't believe that it's being published in weekly shonen jumper by the same company who makes weekly shonen jump because that's that's pretty dark i guess if, like i i said i if you're a longtime listener you know that i'm a big fan of chainsaw man and i haven't read this series a lot of people said that it's dark it's weird and fujimoto's writing and style overall and drawing and everything has always been strange and dark and weird and i'm looking forward to seeing another series that they did um that was about this and if you haven't read their other little one shots that they did like near or look back highly recommend those on the shonen jump app you can read those for free on their website or in the app to get just a taste of what this stuff is about um they're like 150 pages so like it's a lot of content for very very cheap um aka free but yeah i'm i'm gonna dive into this um and hopefully it won't be me diving into another semi-long-ish series that i'll probably drop after three volumes and pause for no reason like i've done so far with doro hidoro and blade of the immortal I'm, I'm, I don't know what happened to the Mike who read One Piece in 2020. Something <laughs> happened. I think I thought that everything was accomplishable after I read One Piece. And in that same vein, I feel like it's true. I can read anything now, but I keep picking up like these long series and I just fall off of them after like two volumes. Like I'm in the middle of reading Ecstatics. I'm in the middle of reading uh, uh, Dory Doro and Blade of the Immortal and Lone Wolf and Cub. Like I started all these books and I got like three volumes in and I just stopped. What's going on with me, guys? Someone help me. <laughs> There's too many comics, Mike. I know, just too many comics. I, you know, I I blame it on the X-Men, okay? I blame <laughs> it on there being so many pretty good X-Men books that I just feel like I can't read these other books because I got all these weekly books that I want to get to. Maybe I should just stop reading regular comic books altogether. I I feel like I make that that claim and, and challenge every every other episode, so I'm going to stop right there. Are but, you saying uh, that you're going to stop reading X-Men? Listen, if, if, it's, if that's what it takes for me to read all these manga volumes... <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Uh, no, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe after X or AXE, sorry, Kieran Gillen, um, after yeah. AXE, uh, I'll, I'll pause on things. I'm not going to stop reading them, but just pause on them to like catch up on my backlog and then jump back in with a bunch of X-Men and stuff ready to go for me. So who knows? <laughs> um, but anyways, let's take a quick break. Um, we've got this month's episode is a, is a good reads book of the month episode. We're talking about banned books. So when we, Oh, I forgot our Discord picks. Oh, my gosh. Shout out to our buddy Danny in the chat who's hanging out with us today. Uh, we did have two Discord picks that I completely skipped over because I'm not in my regular setup and nothing's set up regularly, so I apologize. Danny's hanging out with us today. He's reading Amazing Fantasy 1000 that's coming out this week, and Hugh's hanging out with us today and is reading X-Men number 14. That was almost my pick, but I decided to go with um, some dark, weird, cannibalistic manga instead. <laughs> so anyways we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk about our goodreads book of the month uh or the book that we chose for our theme this month which was banned books is according to the league or comic book legal defense fund and a bunch of other places so when we come back we're going to dive into that and uh so much more so we'll be back in just a second This week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month for August 2022, Banned Books. Our definition of banned books for this episode specifically comes from the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund and a couple of other sources talking about books that have been challenged across the United States, sometimes in other countries. Uh, but ultimately, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund usually had to step in as a nonprofit legal entity to try to represent these books to prevent what they consider to be unnecessary censorship. Now, so there was a lot of discussion about this on the Goodreads group, so I just want to make that clear. If you want to see all that, check that out on our Goodreads group to see the back and forth that we had. But for this episode, Kate, Paul, and I decided to read Mouse all together, and then we each chose a book that we wanted to talk about as well that was on one of these challenge lists. So that is a book that's been challenged in the past or recent history for their subject matter. Um, so I guess to get things started, Paul, let's let's talk about the book that you read um that on, on top of mouse for this episode um i was looking at the list of books that um we had from the comic book legal legal defense fund and one that stu- stuck out to me was ice haven i'd actually read this before it was in my collection which made it easy to go back and reread but i was kind of surprised mm-hmm. it showed up uh, because i didn't know that it had been challenged there was a case back in 2008 2008 where a high school student was basically given a copy of ice haven which is a comic book by daniel klaus and the student's parents found it and said it was pornographic and uh, the teacher was eventually fired or left their position and didn't teach again because of that Mm -hmm. and uh so what's interesting is that this book by daniel klaus it was originally published klaus's uh series eight ball eight ball number 22 contained all this material but it was reformatted as a hardcover collection in 2005 and that's the copy i have and uh i like it in this format because stylistically the book is designed to function as a series of individual comic book comic strips basically like you'd see in a newspaper Mm -hmm. and each comic strip or each page has its own title its own sort of punchline it functions as a its own discrete unit but over the course of the 29 different comic strips you get a tapestry of a small town named ice haven there's a mystery of a young boy who's kidnapped um there's different people around the town are either suspects or trying to figure it out Across the different characters and stories, Klaus creates this almost like black humor portrayal of a small town defined by loneliness and suspicion. 
And mm. if you've read, you know, something like Ghost World, you kind of get the tone of the book, you know, they're Klaus's most famous book, Ghost World. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That being said, what I could see would be objectable to uh, parents if, uh, if you're reading this, um, uh, if you gave it to a 13-year-old specifically, um, there is some non-sexual nudity in the book, which I don't think is anything worse than you'd see in maybe a PG-13 movie or an R-rated movie. Sure. Um, there also are moments where you're dealing with young kids and what Klaus does, he captures that moment when you're prepubescent, when like you know what sex is, but it's still confusing and scary to you. So you have mm-hmm. these kids sort of imagining what sex is like, and it's not pornographic or explicit, but you know it, it, that is the subject matter. So I think yeah. what makes the book function well is Klaus's ability to capture the strangest of those moments, but just taken out of context, those moments might seem inappropriate. Um, but yeah. I guess my final thought on the book is that all that being said, I think it is a formalistically a really interesting comic, but there are a few moments where Klaus works blue, quote unquote. You know, there's a couple mm. panels in particular, strips in particular, where the humor feels like purposely edgy. And that stuff, again, is not pornographic, but maybe would be more R-rated versus PG-13. So I could see where sure. that, but again... There are other books in the library that are quote unquote classic works of literature that deal with subjects of sexuality, deal with these issues mm-hmm. and have, uh, what's what I'm looking for, have um, <laughs> obscenities in them. Mm. But for some reason, this book, because it's a comic, is probably much more easy to point at and say inappropriate for kids versus, you know, something by like Sylvia Plath or, you know, uh, Norman Mailer. So sure. I think it's a great book, but yeah, so I, but I can see where some people would uh, have objection to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because I think like a book like this, I, and I haven't read Ice Haven, but from the from what I understand, like the subject matter is is touchy, right? From what yeah. you're saying, you know, the, the discussing these types of things about children can border, like I feel like it has to be very like sensibly handled mm-hmm. um, because then it can turn almost into like an exploitative work that was done with the idea of trying to tell a story, but it's actually just a reason to draw these like illicit things. Um, yeah. That being said, uh, you know, I, I Daniel Klaus, given the work that I've read and, you know, by what he's done, it doesn't strike me as someone who's going for that, like, I, I, it's hard to say judge an author by their body of work in some ways because sometimes that can be to their <laughs> yeah. detriment, sometimes can it be to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think in the in the case of this comic book legal defense thing, like if you read through the whole article, uh, one of the things I found interesting is that like this kid, it was like an it was a he was assigned this book to read. Um, he had the option to turn it back in, and it was like no, he thought it was interesting, and then his parents saw it, and it was the parents that were concerned, and mm-hmm. I mean like. A, a kid's not going to be able to judge whether or not something is good or bad for them, you know, especially at such a young age, like like 13. But even still, yeah. like it, there are far worse books that you could have picked up uh, <laughs> that would have been a bit more jarring than I think what what probably is in this Ice Haven book. I'm sure that if you looked up this stuff, the the even out of context, it's not nearly as explicit as mm-hmm. other things that I know exist at libraries. So exactly. uh, it's That's wild why- that this got challenged. That's why I was surprised to see it on the list. And then going back to rereading, yeah. like I said, there's there's a few lines that wouldn't be out of place in like a PG-13 movie or something, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's there in the comic. And what's interesting about what Klaus does is there are those moments where he captures that sort of strange prepubescent awkwardness and strangeness. Sure. But those moments are drawn in a very simplistic, quote unquote, cartoony way. It almost looks like a Peanuts cartoon. Like it's done. It's like clearly what a child would imagine. It's not an adult showing something like explicit 
a child is doing. It's a child imagining it. Right. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. So it's like it's abstracted to the point where it's not even remotely erotic or pornographic. Like it's 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 so far from that. But again, Mm -hmm. that's a stylistic choice that maybe some people don't don't have the nuance or uh, uh, to notice. So, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess I can't, I don't know if you had any any thoughts on this, but otherwise I'd be we can we can move on to your book if you if you want. Very I have very similar reasons that my book was was put on this list. So okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's dive right into it. I'll yeah. be talking about that anyway, I guess. Yeah, so I read Gender Queer uh, for the second time. This is by Maya Kobabe, and Maya's pronouns are E, M, and Air. I'll try not to mess that up. <laughs> This is an autobiographical comic about Maya's childhood and figuring out her gender identity. This book has been removed from a lot of different libraries recently. Um, and mm-hmm. the reason is, is it's considered pornographic by some people. Uh, and I, I don't really get it. Like, I don't really understand that feedback. If, if you have read the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The creator does talk about air body periods, masturbation and sex. And there are depictions of these things, but they're like illustrations of the creator's narration. They're not like active i wouldn't call them explicit they're not sexual i'm clearly biased (laughs) well it's interesting specifically in this book because there it it all seems to be like anatomical right it's no different than what you would see in like a in like a textbook in in a lot of ways so i think what what kababi is able to do is like explain air's experience without trying to like over sexualize a lot of things that we already have a lot of like subtextual sexual attachments to like people's body parts and things like that. Exactly. Right. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, the response to this in the LGBT community and just like comic book community, uh, which is that it has hit bestseller lists as a response. (laughs) 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 And I actually didn't see this on the uh, comic book legal defense funds website yet but i am really surprised that i haven't seen it there because yeah. uh this has become one of the most challenged books in the united states mm-hmm. uh and i went out and i bought a really nice hardcover of it at, from barnes and noble so <laughs> nice. that's my response um, <laughs> just be fortunate that you live in a state where you can still buy this book yeah. Kate. <laughs> and it's still at my local library so i appreciate yeah. that yeah. i need to write them a, a nice letter thanking them for not pulling totally useful and good books right i right. i do have a couple of favorite parts about this comic that i wanted to talk about uh yeah maya is from a very small school like air's class was 18 students and at this school the students were taught weaving blacksmithing shoemaking and other very practical crafts and then there's like this this panel where it shows a sex ed class and the teacher is discussing consent. Uh, this sounds like a great school. Where was the school mm-hmm. when I was in school? Right. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and do you remember what the name of the the city was where Air grew up? No, you don't have to look it up. That's okay. That's I could okay. Look it up. No, no, it's all right. Just keep going. All right. Uh, and one of my other favorite things is that Maya is such a nerd. Like. Uh, air favorite uh, author that that is first talked about was Tamora Pierce, who is also one of my favorite authors, uh, like around the same age. And uh, Maya joins a gay straight alliance club and the club becomes a Lord of the Rings fan club. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I said that I've read this book more than once. Um, I find it like really raw and, and honest. And uh, there are so many 
like gender and sexuality stories that happen like after the creator has worked through their identity i've read i've read a lot of um not straight books this year and like all of them have been after after this person has figured this out about themselves and Mm -hmm. um i mean that's also important but it's really refreshing to actually watch this this exploration take place and in such Mm -hmm. a very honest way and so this book just doesn't shy away from like the messiness and self-doubt of reaching self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this book, I, I think when it first came out, I remember I think Kate Scotchless saw it on a list and was like, this sounds amazing. And so I picked it up out of like on a whim. I was like, oh, that's that sounds like a very in- like illustrative work for someone like me, a straight white guy to like try to understand someone from a different like background and, and gender identity and stuff. Uh, I found it fantastic like it's it's probably one of my like favorite books in the last five years hands down just from from both an informative and just a comic book creation standpoint i think maya is able to tell a very cohesive understandable story that allows you to empathize with everything that that they've gone through without making it seem like i don't know like a uh like in like a, a textbook, like you're just reading like information about about different things, because while all of those pieces are still in the story, it never feels like bland or boring by any means. It still feels extremely personal every step of the way, even though there are these ex- like blots of, of information and text like you would pull out of a textbook or a psychology book or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I fucking love this book. I can't recommend it enough. If you can't get a, a hold of a copy, call me. I'll buy one. I'll send it to you. <laughs> like, I really, really believe in this book. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, like an educational book. And that's the th- what I really appreciate about it. Again, like you were saying, Mike, it's, it's, it's informative and educational, but it's also a very personal story. I learned a lot when I read it. And it's one of those mm-hmm. books that it, it's having it not in a public school library or a school library or a public library is would be a shame because I, I think there's so many people that would maybe relate to their experience or their experience, you know, and would need a book like that to help them. So it, yeah. it's, it's a real shame that it wouldn't be available. Yeah. And it's, it's even not to, not to continue on this point any further, but like, it's such a, such a interest or such a smart book to like give to someone who may be trying to figure themselves out. You know, mm-hmm. just to say, like, here's another person's experience that's so far different than, like, maybe anyone you've ever met. Um, and they, and like, Maya is able to break things down in such a way that it's like, this is how air explored everything, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's, it's such a, I don't know, it's such a s- smart, important book for people. And I'm sure there are plenty of other pieces of, of fiction and nonfiction and stuff that, that also f- follow these, this subject matter, but this is the best damn comic book that I know of that, that does it. And we're your comic book uh-huh. podcast. Yeah. So uh, I totally, I totally appreciate it for that reason as well. I'm glad that you have read it. <laughs> I don't have to tell you how to yeah. read it. I, I'm yeah, glad yeah. that we yeah. all have read it yeah, here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a great book. Can't express that enough. Um, but I, I also read a book for this. I read fun home, a family tragic comic by Alison Bechtel. Just, just keeping along the consistency line of Mike likes to read books that make him feel sad. Um, <laughs> And uh, for me, though, this book has always been intimidating. It came out in 2006. uh, And the story is about Alison Bechtel, who is trying is explaining the story of her father at this, who who was a closeted gay man all of his life, it seems, as she is understanding her own sexual orientation. And it's more so like a a reflection of a story about her, I think, deep sadness and not being able to have this 
straight or this serious conversation with her father before he passed away and in 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 the aftermath of his death like finding out all of these different things about him and and all of these different pieces of his life clicking together suddenly for her so yeah i highly recommend it love this book uh but for me it's always been intimidating uh mm-hmm. i've always worried that it was going to be like an absolutely destructive book for my psyche just because of how sad and depressing so many people have said that it was and fortunately it didn't totally wholeheartedly destroy me um the way that some books have <laughs> but it is really heartbreaking uh for numerous reasons i i mean personally as someone who lost his father in the past couple of years like it's a really hard book to walk through as she talks about this question of like did he take his own life did he not and and finding out all and having all these questions about like who was this person i knew all these things about him as my as my parent but then in hindsight after he died finding out all these different things like it's absolutely devastating not that i can completely relate to all of that but at the same time that is like just just absolutely tragic to think you know your parents so well and then to find out they led this whole other life and not just about like his sexual orientation but just like all these different things that he had done and you thought you understood it but it turns out it was a totally different way um i i found that to be really interesting the way that she weaves the story together like and this kind of leads into my second point that i have that like if there's a better book that describes the complicated relationships between the ki- kids and their parents i would really like to know what it is because this book as far as i'm concerned it does that the best it walks through every single it, it does she does such a great job of like breaking down different stories and then revisiting those stories multiple times to add more layers of context as she got older so she saw them as a, as a young child and then moving on as she got in, became a teenager and then as she went to college she started to revisit all of these things that had happened in her life and she tells that in the story as it goes on it's it's really 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 smart you know she she has a lot of really interesting back and forth moments with her dad in the book that you know teenagers and kids are always going to fight with their parents in some way shape or form but there's this like mystery about her dad that she slowly starts to unravel as the book goes on and as soon as it seems like she gets some of it figured out like he passes away and um i don't know i i just really love the way that as she got older, she recontextualized like a lot of the interactions that she had with her dad that for her were super pivotal, but then became even more important or became more devastating as she figured out what was actually going on. Um, Bechdel does a great job of really breaking your heart in that way. Uh, and I, I, it's such an interesting way to tell a, a true to life story. Um, I found it really, really fun. Um, or I guess interesting, not fun. Uh, <laughs> um, and I guess the, the the last thing I'll say about this book is I really appreciated Bechtel's open discussion about puberty and her like self analysis of her sexuality. Um, she spoke in terms that were a bit beyond my level of reading comprehension in that I haven't read a lot of psychology books and a lot of things that are smarter than me. Like I haven't read a lot of books <laughs> about gender and sexualist expression mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but I, I found it really like, honest and raw the way that she just dis- dis- described her physical emotional and sexual journey like figuring things out being angry at your body um i'm i am a white guy like i don't un- experience the same things that you know the young women do as they go through puberty so like her being really like open about the things that bother her and talking about them isn't necessarily new for this book or for comics in general but um i thought it was really like raw Mm -hmm. like i think her depictions of herself as like a child and a teenager and as as adult were i think some of the reasons why people found this book to be offensive um was because she does like depict herself as a child with like 
small breasts that hurt and she complains about that and it's like a single panel that moves on to a bigger discussion about her body developing but you know people get rubbed the wrong way when these things are shown in books but she did that as an illustrative understanding for the reader to be like i was bothered by this thing and this is how i felt about it um there is like one moment where there is this an explicit sexual scene and two panels of her in the face of a between the legs of one woman and in the next panel she's further down between the legs of a woman but like such is life sometimes <laughs> uh, you know so there's you know but but otherwise like I think that it's a shame to have a book like this challenged because of the way that she as someone with a very complicated relationship with a parent depicts it in a way that is like even after all of this stuff that she goes through in the book she still feels kind of uncomfortable and comfortable with it at the same time mm-hmm. it's 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 a really really great read and it's it's a shame that some folks wanted to ban it i mean like the big thing that comic book legal defense fund had about this book was that uh in 2006 uh when this book came out louise mills of marshall missouri requested that this book uh and blankets which which kate read uh or is going to be reading be removed from their local public library because she said they considered them pornography and expressed concern that children might be drawn to them because they look like comic books spoilers they are comic books (laughs) (laughs) um but that shouldn't be a reason to deter them i mean there's there's a little bit more to that story but like the fact that you'd be worried about kids reading about this stuff is is interesting. I mean, this isn't game. I don't think this is geared towards children in any no, means. I think it's no. geared towards teenagers. But um, yeah, I don't know. Kate, Paul, I, I've been talking nonstop. Have you guys read <laughs> this book at all? Have you had any thoughts on it? I, I did pick this up on a whim at one point, And I actually, I had to look up my Goodreads reads review to remember what I thought of it because I read this so sure. quickly that it was like kind of in one eye and out the other. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, <laughs> um, but what I wrote was that, yeah, this uh, I had to look up uh, some terms in this book because, yeah, I agree. It did feel it did feel like it was smarter than me, um, but not in yeah. like a condescending way. Just no. And then I also wrote that I um, there were references to James Joyce. And if you've ever read James Joyce, he can be kind of a, a, a dense writer. Um, and I kind of, uh, I kind of felt like that was paralleled in, in the writing of the book, not that it was dense, but rather that it was just, uh, yeah, very intellectual, very self-aware. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I did give it a a four, four out of five stars. So I liked it. (laughs) You must've liked it. (laughs) Paul, what about you? I think it's a great book. I, it's been a few years since I read it, but what I did appreciate just how, how heart, heart on the sleeve it is. Like Bechtel does not shy away yeah. from very uncomfortable moments, um, mm-hmm, uh, uncomfortable mm-hmm. subjects. It's very honest. Um, yeah, despite the title, it's not necessarily fun. And there's a reason why it's called that. I don't, you know, there's fun home is not describing the house. It's a funeral home. Yeah. That's why it's called that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, Bechtel's work is always centered around questions or meditations on expression of sexuality. Like, I mean, she's best known for dykes to watch out for which is a comic that she did which introduced the term bechdel mm-hmm. test which we all know right so i mean that's always been central to her work and there's nothing explicit about any of that stuff but it just deals with the way people ex- express particularly lesbians like bechdel like express their sexuality or, and her lived mm-hmm. experience of being a lesbian so um yeah yeah i don't think there's anything graphic about it what I, what i think is interesting is like it can be challenged but like like mouse it's a very celebrated book like it got turned into a musical that won a Tony mm-hmm. award for best musical. Yeah. It's a celebrated yeah. book. And I don't necessarily think it's like you said, it's not aimed at children. I couldn't imagine 
uh, someone younger than like 13 or 14, like picking it up and sticking with it. You know I mean, it's clearly like yeah. a dense, heavy book, not meant for kids. So yeah, I, but it, but it is an important work. I, I, I think if you've not read it, it's, it's worth investigating. It's, it's a pretty important comic in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. I think, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't imagine like a 10 year old sitting down this, they'd be bored in four seconds. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's very clear from the writing. I think it's very clear just in general, like Bechdel is extremely well read and she, she doesn't spend time like dumbing down anything she wants to say, because I think like it would be a waste of her and the reader's time to explain these kind of pretty big like concepts and ideas um, that are that come up in the book. I don't want to use that to like intimidate anybody to like not read this book. Like if you haven't read Ulysses and all this other James Joyce stuff and like a bunch of stuff about like the history of, of lesbianism in America, like you're not going to be lost. But like she does go into some some more detailed stuff in trying to discuss the how she analyzed herself as she was growing up and she was reading more um i find it yeah it's it's, it's a great book just to to ex- understand someone's exploration of themselves so yeah i uh love this book i totally am kicking myself for having not read it sooner but i'm glad that i have and you all should read it too <laughs> we picked a bunch of really good books this week guys yeah. so yeah. um you better go read all of them <laughs> uh, speak, speaking of that we should talk about the main event the book that was picked by a couple people in our goodreads group we decided let's let's read this big old classic that I personally I don't think I've read since I was like in high school. So um, I was glad to be able to revisit it. We read Mouse by Art Spiegelman. I guess to get things started, um, Kate, what was your first thought when you when you sat down to read this book? I guess what's your history with with Mouse? I did read Mouse a year or two ago, kind of uh, on a whim, okay. just one of those those comics that I picked up from the library, and then I I went and bought it from uh, from Barnes and Noble to refresh uh, for this episode, and also to show show my support. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, best mm-hmm. way to uh, protest against bad banned books is to buy them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And actually, I I had intention or i had initially tried to just look this up on like hoopla or something i just kind of assumed that i'd be able to buy it digitally even if it's from comiXology and i couldn't find it so i i looked into this a little bit and i couldn't find the original quote from the author but it looks like this was an intentional choice to not make it available digitally um it seems like the creator designed the book to be printed and at a specific size and like through his request it has not been resized or or put made available digitally so apologies sure. for the folks that can't can't get this uh physically but this is a really good book and i feel like we made Listen, the right decision discussing it if, anyway if people can't get this book physically you give me you give your old daddy mike a call he'll send you a copy of this book uh everyone should read this book i think it's it's probably one of the best comic books created in the last like decade or not decade, Jesus, like century, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, Kate. Sorry. Yeah. Well, when I was when I was trying to find the reasons for this, I ran across a lot. Like I ended up reading most of the Wikipedia page for this, and so mm-hmm, I just mm-hmm. I took note of a lot of of the um, kind of the reception of this book. It's actually the only graphic novel that's ever won a Pulitzer Prize. This is like yeah, back in yeah. like 1992, shortly after it came out. Uh, and I, I actually was looking for this at Barnes and Noble under the comic books, you know, because it's a comic book and where right. I found it instead with the help of a bookseller was in the, the history section. Like it's just considered mm-hmm. an academic work. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and I believe it's used in some classrooms, like in college courses and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, 
so like that's all very serious but i also <laughs> uh, uh, the reception of the creator's father as part of the book he was like why are you making these drawings you should be you should be doing something that was going to make you money uh <laughs> and then yeah, it won right. a pulitzer <laughs> yeah and then it won yeah. a pulitzer yeah. I mean, I I can't imagine it being not being like one of the most sold comic books ever, like in a lot of ways. I mean, given how long it's been out and also just how many classrooms actually use this as a piece of like work to study as oh. part of like going over World War II and, and Holocaust and stuff like it's it's yeah, it's, it's got to be. But maybe for the folks at home, if you don't know, <laughs> Mouse is a book by Art Spiegelman. Uh I don't know if you've been living under a rock for the last 30 years. Sorry, you haven't seen this one, <laughs> um, but it covers art interviewing his father about his time in the 1930s and 40s growing up in Poland uh, right as World War II broke out. They are uh, a family of Jew- or they're Jewish folks and so they were persecuted and so he wanted to get his father's story. So it's it's a combination of him kind of being closer with his father after I think some time away from him and also getting his father's story in like chronological order, uh, which is a little bit of a problem in the book sometimes uh, where <laughs> art forces him to step back and say, no, no, we need to do this in order. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating read. And uh, yeah, like Kate said, it's, it's been all over the place and it won a Pulitzer like that's serious business. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess, Paul, what's, what was your, what's your history with this book? And uh, I guess what's one of the first things you were, you were, that came to mind when you were, after you read this? Well, it, it's funny. Uh, I actually had to buy this and read this as part of a college course I was in uh, when I was in college. So, um, oh, yeah, cool. it, it is a textbook we use. It was a class about, um, I think the actual name of the course was Literary literary Responses to War and Peace. So the idea was like, mm. here's a book that directly addresses the effects of World War II. So we're going to read it for the class. Um, and I was already a comic book fan, so I was excited to buy it. Um, but I, haven't, I don't think I've read it since then. So it's been about at least 15 years since I read it. So it's fun mm-hmm. to go back and mm-hmm. revisit it. Um, what always struck me about the book, going back to reread it, because I kind of forgot just how deeply personal it is. It's almost, especially the first volume, is almost less about the experience of uh, Spiegelman's father in the Holocaust and more about their relationship and their strained yeah. relationship. Like it really is a book that is deeply, deeply personal, and I think that's what makes it so effective. the The Holocaust is such a horrific thing to wrap your brain around. You cannot really make mm-hmm. sense of it. So to put it in a deeply personal, semi-autobiographical, well, I mean, truly autobiographical story, because Spiegelman, you know, directly addresses the effects, uh, you know, the the success of the first volume in the second volume. It's a story right. about his relationship with his father. Like That makes it so much more hard-hitting. You know, it really puts things into an amazing context when you get to the second volume. So I've always liked that that sort of personal approach to the story. Yeah, I I forgot how much of the like actual personal life of Spiegelman and his father are in this book. So like, yeah. I mean, I, I'll just jump right into to my history with it as well. But like, I read this in in high school as part of a class. You know, like when we're we're studying World War II, we're talking about the Holocaust and stuff. And I remember being like baffled that we were reading a book about cats and mice. Like, what the hell is this thing? You know. <laughs> um, and I, I remember being just like blown away to he actually read a story that conveyed all of the things that we were studying in class, but also like through through a medium that was not just text and the occasional image and professor or teachers lecturing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember just being totally floored by it. And I have such fond, vivid memories of of sitting down and seeing the cover to the book that we had in class, which I think was just the first uh, volume or the first collection, right, um, of stories. And just like 
seeing those mice and the pig masks and understand being blown away by this idea in the book of like when they put the pig masks on that's them pretending to be poles or from poland i was like oh my god like you can do this in a story like i just remember thinking how creative it was to tell this thing um and I, not to say that i had like the 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 comic book knowledge to, to be able to understand that but i remember thinking these ideas and then now years and years later after you know having so much more uh comic books under my under my wings i guess or whatever and or under my belt and also like un- having the the words and the like comic book literacy to see all of the stuff that art Spiegelman was doing coming back to revisit it was just like fantastic and it was like a slap in the head to be like this is a great comic book like i know the subject matter is super grim and i do not want to downplay that at all but spiegelman as a comic book creator depicting this story sells it every single moment as a comic book and it's it's so believable and it's like that expression that we've been holding on to in the show for a while of like comic books are the best medium for telling stories and this is absolute <laughs> proof of it right this this book flows you do not want to put it down even when the moments are tough and hard and you feel the tears welling up in your eye you don't want to stop reading this book because it is such a compelling story it's so well paced it feels so natural to read through um a lot of books struggle with that i think a lot of books that we even talked about today struggle with that and yet spiegelman in 1992 was able to tell this very tough very personal story without you feeling like you're bogged down in it instead you are you are relating to these human beings as their stories being told and it's like and they're and like they're depicted as mice like it's like it's it's right. everything that makes comic books great um all in one book and i i absolutely love it that's something i did want to talk about is like because i think a lot of times i'd hear people describe this book and they would use that idea of depicting the jewish characters as mice the nazi characters as cats presenting that almost like a gimmick like oh here's a clever riff on it like mm-hmm. it's so much more complex than that it's not just a cute little you know, style choice like it functions in the story in a very specific way and like there's mm-hmm. actually moments mm-hmm. in the book where art is talking to his wife saying well you're french but you converted to judaism how should i draw you like it, the complications of that choice are right there in the text mm-hmm. so it's not just like a, a a handy little metaphor or a cute little thing like it's it's a fundamental part of the story he's telling and i love the moments when you see you know them in poland trying to dis- hide the fact that they are Jewish to get out. And you see like, yeah. you know, they have the pig mask tied around their head. And there's even parts where, you know, Spiegelman is going, he visits his psychiatrist, his therapist. And like, the, he's drawn himself as a human, but he has the mouse mask over his own face. And it's like, oh, that's, mm. there's complexity to it rather than just being, let's use anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic characters to tell the story. It, it, there's a lot of careful thought in in that and that's the thing i've always respected about this book is that no detail is too small in this book like everything is done for a purpose right Mm -hmm. it's such a tremendous work in that regard i also have this quote from wikipedia because i read the entire wikipedia page (laughs) yeah yeah uh where he Art at one point had said that it kind of highlights how ridiculous stereotyping an entire population is uh, because especially like if if you see any, any Americans, they're all portrayed as the same animal. But like as Americans, we know that America is very diverse. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's it's highlighting how ridiculous it is to, to for the Nazis to have said, um, you know, created these stereotypes or anybody to use stereotypes at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's like 
it's a it's a really it, it it feels like on the surface like it's a gimmick as if it's it's persecutors versus they're persecuted right but it is it is like it is a very interesting way to show how, like a unification of people as well right so like a lot of the people in Poland, they all look like they're they're pigs and people from other countries are other animals. The Germans are cats. Um, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is like all of the all of the Jewish folks are depicted as mice, but it didn't matter where they came from. Right. Didn't matter what country was right. their origin. You know, when they ended up in a camp or they end up somewhere else like they they all are depicted as mice, which I think is an interesting thing that like below or above the the layer of like the country that you come from, there is this like inherent thing that unites all of these people. And like, there is the level of like, you shouldn't be able to depict all people the same way like that. But like, that is also a unifier for them to know um, beyond just the idea of like them being labeled to the star. It's like their heritage as is the part of who they are as people. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really smart way to do things. Go ahead, King. That like grouping is also really true to like I've read a lot of I've I've read an unusual amount of World War II fiction at this point and nonfiction, <laughs> um, yeah. and that really is how things were seen to to the people over in that part of the world when this was going on. It was all like, mm-hmm. where, uh, show me your papers. Where are you from? Um, what's your religion? What mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. color is your hair, etc. Um, <laughs> so it really like it, it just kind of highlights the tensions that exist between the groups uh, in that period of history. Yeah, and I think because the book is so personal, like it it is about his father's lived experience being Jewish and how it affected mm-hmm. art personally. You know, like I, I like I said earlier, I like how um, it's a deeply personal story. It's also Art Spiegelman doesn't shy away from showing both his father and himself as being short-tempered, right? There's points yeah. where he like gets fed up. He loses his patience with his father. He kind of snaps at him. And they're really heartbreaking moments. But so I'm, I'm glad that they're in there because it's a way of showing how much the Holocaust still is echoing through history because, you know, kind of there's a point where he kind of jokes about, no, my dad's become a stereotype of being Jewish. But at the same time, yeah. he is thrifty, to an extreme degree because of what he went through. Like it's still there right. with him. And, you know, when you get to, get to the parts about art struggling with his brother who died before he was even born, like those are really powerful moments. And then they're presented very warts and all, quote unquote, they're presented very open and hard on your sleeve. And it's really, really deeply personal. And I've always been impressed by that. Yeah. I, I kind of called that out in my, my second point as well. Like I, you know, I thought it was interesting to see art, including moments like him reflecting on should i should i depict my dad this way am i doing this does this is it me is it wrong of me to depict my dad this way because he meets some of these things that people associate as stereotypical like someone who is stereotypical of someone who is jewish but you know his stepmother you know says you know this that's just who your dad is like there's nothing that's going to change that and if you change that that would make the story worse and i like that he included that i think it's again adding to that level of like personal concern like art so desperately wants to make sure that he gets this story right that he includes moments like this i think as a way to be like i'm i tried very hard it was crucial for me to do this and have these discussions with people these this is all part of the story that i'm trying to tell and i i really i found that to be very impressive that an art or creator would want to be able to do something like that in their book because i think we've seen like these kind of fourth wall things happen in nonfiction 
in other ways too and they they feel a little bit too like on the nose but this to me felt really really earnest and i i, mm-hmm. I think that happens you know a couple times throughout the book but i i really appreciated that moment in particular um because like it's 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 you know it's a, it's a hard line to walk and he's trying to be as accurate and honest about this book as possible it's interesting too because i mean there's a moment um where they republish another comic that art had done years earlier about mm. his mother's suicide yeah. And that's a really raw emotional comic and it's but it's abstract in a way that Mouse is not. Right? I mean, it's a very yeah. out there sort of, you know, he presents himself as a prison, a prisoner in this giant prison. It's it's all very um metaphorical whereas Mouse as a text is really is not aside from the anthropomorphic aspect, it's not a very mm. it's not a metaphor. Like it's actually like a lived experience being shared. So Right. Right. Um, Kate, what, what's a, what's another point that we haven't touched on yet that you've got for this book? Yeah, well, really quick before uh, I leave Paul's point, I I wanted to point out a a quote that Nancy left in our Goodreads group, which that was that um, you can kind of tell that this writing this book took a toll on the creator's mental health because I mean, just reading the the exchanges between him and his father, you can kind of you can kind of uh, feel the tension there. But also, there's a yeah. There's a few panels, a few pages toward the beginning of of the second book where you see Art, he's drawn himself like working at a desk on top of a pile of mouse bodies. And so you can see like Mm -hmm. the guilt that he feels off of like building a career on top of this this experience that ended so many people's lives. But then also I like the, the next couple of pages after that show him being interviewed by, by person after person after person after all of the, the positive press that he got after book one. And you see him shrink from an adult to like uh, the size of a child or a baby. Mm-hmm. And he starts crying mm-hmm. and he says, I don't feel like an adult. Like this is too much. Um, yeah. So as as difficult as this book can can be to read on occasion, I mean you you do see the honesty that is the the difficulty of writing the book in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like this. I mean, it's a hard subject matter to talk about. I think in general, and let alone to have like a family member who who lived through it. I mean, I I have to imagine that Art put immense amounts of pressure on himself to make sure that he showed this the right way without being insulting to the num the numerous amounts of people that even just just his family knew you know that were lost in the war uh, or lost in the holocaust right like um it wasn't even a matter of fighting you know for them so it's like Mm -hmm. to depict them and make sure that you're doing them justice you know like in moments where he talks about his older or his, his brother you know being sent away with these people and like they're it's so it's so simple that they say like and they never saw him again like to to it's it's so hard. It has to have been so hard to talk about something like that so quickly because there's so many other, unfortunately, horrible things to get through. Um, and right. yeah, you know that moment gets brought up again and again. But like, I think when they first talk about it, like his dad kind of says it like one off. It's it's like totally heartbreaking to to hear him have to talk about this. And obviously, he's his dad is still very upset by the fact that he lost his first son. You know, but even still. Uh, like that that was kind of one of the things that i i was thinking about um at the end of this is like i was fascinated by how like spiegelman's dad he talks about these absolutely horrible things and a lot of like the mundane things that were caused by either like the germans changing rules or him moving to a camp like some of these things that seem kind of mundane about the idea of oh and i was able to sneak away some cakes for your mom as well as oh yeah four people were hung you know in the previous page he was just talking about that like it's it's just it's like i i can't imagine the like 
just how tough that would be to talk about this and let alone remember all of this, you know, in order the way that he did. I, it's it's such a such a crazy idea to think of what things stick with you after so many years, right? Because obviously, Art, he wrote this in like the late 80s, early 90s when he was putting this all together. Um, so to think like 40 years later, someone's asking mm-hmm. to recount all these things and these are the things that stick out. Like we heard about these guys, you know, the Germans took them away. Oh, also somebody happened to make cake. So I brought some home for your mom. Like, what the hell? Like, that's it's <laughs> wild to me. Just wild. Mm-hmm. Something about this book that that strikes me is that this this was written in the late 80s. I was born in the late 80s. <laughs> so this is an older book. I mean, this is a 40-year-old book. But mm-hmm. when you're reading it, you don't really notice that. Like, I mean, uh, sure. I guess there aren't any cell phones in it. So if you're really paying attention, you'll notice <laughs> the lack of technology. But it does sure. feel like this man is just like visiting his parents and and yeah, talking yeah. to his wife and trying to like build his career and i mean it it's these are common experiences of today <laughs> like we are losing more people that did experience or live through the holocaust or, and world war ii every day uh and so it's it it's kind of difficult to align the fact that all of these people are are passing away and their stories aren't going to be within reach for very much longer at all. Sure. So like right. one of the questions that one of the interviewers and in the story asks is what makes your Holocaust story different? And I guess the reception <laughs> is what makes it uh, significant <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, and it's just like, I, I don't feel like there are too many Holocaust stories. There are a lot, um, but they're all important, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, but that's what makes a book like this like super important, right? Is to right. like have right. and, and to have it celebrated and so widely spread. I mean, like as far as like challenges are concerned for this book, right? I mean, Chipmouse has been around for a long time, but the one that I, I pulled out of the, the comic book legal defense fund uh, site was like in the library world, books are challenged all the time, mostly for uh, making someone uncomfortable with their own view of the world, which I think is a very bold line for CVLDF <laughs> to say. Uh, right. Like in our library system, Mouse was challenged over its portrayal of the Poles. The challenge was made by a Polish American who was very proud of his heritage and had ma- had made other suggestions about adding books on Polish history for our library's collection, so it was not out of the blue. The thing is, Mouse made him uncomfortable, so he didn't want other people to read it. And to them, that is censorship as opposed to parental guidance, which is a lot of the challenges is parental guidance and stuff. Right. But like I, I feel like I understand being uncomfortable, but at the same time, like, how do you take a book like this that does such a wonderful job of explaining someone's personal like like experience so well and say like well i don't like the way that some of these these side characters were portrayed like i mean i don't know i feel like we do that it's it's weird to say that because i think we do that sometimes in in modern day and it's right right like showing people stereotypically in a way that does not uh portray them in a positive light is a bad thing i totally agree with that because that is wholeheartedly true to show like stereotypical like depictions of people um based off of their heritage or race or whatever um is bad but at the same time like the the way that poles are shown in the book is not in a way that's just like all polish people are like this right, right. I, I think it's right. it's it's very clearly different um at least from my my perspective yeah i mean a, a book about the holocaust probably should make you uncomfortable right i'm just going to say like like if you're addressing <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. facts of the event like it should be a, a, yeah. a, upsetting and and uh yeah so but but again like it, it is based on what actually happened 
there were right. the polls who turned in their neighbors. So, I mean, that, that did happen. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's uncomfortable, but that, you can't ignore that. And yeah. I, but I think there's a there. It's it's not as if Spiegelman's dad said, "Well, every Polish person, right. blah blah." Like he, there yeah. was no generalization. I think on his part. I think it was he told specific stories about some people, and some of them helped, and some of them didn't. Because I think like for every you know for every person that was like screaming and yelling and trying to turn people in, there were another you know enough people that were also trying to help people and hide them and and yeah. you know keep them safe and stuff. So like. I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting thing. And again, that's one of the many challenges that this book has had. I think one of the other ones that I saw was that in Russia, they don't want to sell this book because they have a zero zero tolerance policy for like anything with a Nazi symbol on it. So they don't want to sell this book because it has a very clearly defined Nazi symbol on it. Um, I understand that to a certain extent, uh, because like no one should own any of that stuff and be showing it (laughs) off. But like, Sure. It's hard to just show the the Nazis without some of their stuff when you're telling a story like this, you know. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Spiegelman does smartly. Um, it's not a you know he puts a um, a symbol on top of the swastika, so it's not just yes. a swastika. Like it is, yeah. He puts like basically a stylized cat head on it, so it is mm-hmm. altered enough where it's not a straight up swastika. So there's yeah. the workaround yeah. there, but yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, um, I don't know, to wrap things up then for this episode, I guess, final thoughts. Uh, Kate, what's your final, what are your final thoughts on Mouse? I know it's hard. Sum up in a sentence or two, maybe, if you can. Yeah, I, I do feel like this is kind of like necessary reading. I mean, I guess in the same way that I don't want uh, other people to tell people what not to read, I probably shouldn't be telling people what to read. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but it, I feel like this is an important book not only to like learn about the history of the holocaust but just in terms of like if you're a comic book reader and you want to know or or if you're not a comic book reader and you want to know what comics can do like as a medium i mean this is just a really uh a really glowing example of of comics totally agree paul what about you final thoughts that was i was basically going to say the same thing like on top of all the important you know, material and subject matter we discussed, I think as a comic, it's a really incredible work. There's some amazing cartooning in this book. The one page that always stuck out to me, it starts me the first time I read it. It's toward the end of the book where they find like a bunch of photographs that his father had. And there's like half the page is a big shot of his father, but he's being like broken up into the different panels. And it's like this sense of like a stylistic portrayal of, the history that his father's gone through, right? So the panel's mm-hmm. breaking up the moment that his father's sitting there into time. It's like it lengthens that moment in a way that you can only do in comics. And I think Spiegelman is such a talented cartoonist. There's so many little details that when you free, read it on first glance, you might not notice. But like you said earlier, Mike, going back with a deeper um, understanding of comics and a deeper like appreciation for comics as an art form I start noticing those moments more and more and I kind of enjoy it yeah. stylistically as much as I do for the subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. Wholeheartedly agree with the both of you. I mean, I, I think that like I'm kicking myself for having not reread this sooner as like an adult, right? I mean, reading as a teenager yeah. is one thing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I did. And it's, it's such a, such a fantastic comic book that just, is is it's unbelievable it further sells that point that comics are the best medium and it, it really <laughs> is able to convey this this absolutely interesting horrific story without 
uh, really like bearing down on you um, like a textbook would or or in, in my opinion, you know, some I've read other things about the Holocaust in World War Two and they they just depress you and they 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 freak you out. And I think that this book is able to do that without spending all of its time talking about the horrors nonstop for 200 plus pages. Instead, you get this full-fledged story about a man it is more about his father and his experience than it is about like the the war but it puts a a, a more empathetic perspective on i think all of the people who were persecuted by the nazis so yeah it's i think required reading like kate said but um you know when you take the ircb you know 101 course will be in this one we'll put some other books <laughs> in 102 and 201 courses so uh we're working on that and that's at 500 subscribers uh i guess uh to wrap the show up then here you know next week's episode uh, is a mini sode we're going to take labor day off kara and renee recorded an episode about baseball if you like the sports patreon episode that we did that uh, about sports comics for last month's goodreads book of the month you're going to definitely enjoy this one all about baseball uh renee's going to be bringing some manga i told kara to read some x-men and i guarantee she's going to find a way to fit twilight into this discussion so <laughs> look forward to that um, until then you can follow us all on twitter you can follow kate at kl fear you can follow paul at oh hi Polly. you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com slash IRCB Podcast. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate and review the show. I think five stars is a fair rating. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yes, they do have ratings on Spotify. Or wherever you listen to podcasts because, let's face it, we deserve it. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Check out the link to our Discord in the show notes. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth. So why not tell your friends, your family members, your local comic book shop patrons all about IRCB? Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is part gnome, part pixie. He steals your treasures and makes your crops grow. I want to say thank you to Kate and Danny for proof listening. Uh, thank you to Paul for being on this episode and Kate for being on as well. Thank you to everyone hanging out with us at Discord. Thank you to everyone who subscribes to us on Patreon and all you wonderful listeners out there. We appreciate you. If you've gotten this far in the episode, we appreciate you the most. <laughs> Until next time, <laughs> comics are good and so are you. Yeah.